Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey, everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier, and you are listening to the MyFit Podcast. Before I get to introducing the guest of the show this week, I have two quick announcements. First, if you're looking to give back to the MyFit Podcast or you need some new apparel, MyFit Podcast has its fall apparel store open now. Go get yours now. You can get brand new t-shirts or long sleeve shirts, and that store is going to close on Friday, October 28th. So only a couple more days to go get yours now. Thank you guys so much for supporting me, supporting the show, and also rocking some new gear. I really appreciate it. Second announcement, if you guys have been following along, I started a brand new segment of the MyFit podcast called Weekly Wisdom. If you've been following me on social media for a few years, you know that every Monday I post a quote, a story, or something that's been on my mind recently. And I decided that if I've been in the podcast space, I might as well bring that to the MyFit podcast show. So every Monday, what you guys are going to hear from me is a three to six minute segment on something that's either motivational, something you can implement into your schedule, or just uh, something that I learned recently, either through a podcast or through a book that I'm reading that hopefully you can start to implement into your life as you close the gap between who you are now and who you want to become. So look out for that on Mondays. The, t- the show on Tuesdays will obviously still be here. That's the main dish of of the um, of the meal, if you will, but we're just adding some appetizers. That's hopefully going to bring more value to you guys. This week on the show, it's my pleasure to bring back my mentor, Sam Smith. Sam is a highly sought after CrossFit coach who also serves as the head coach of Crafted Coaching. Sam has worked with hundreds of athletes looking to climb the leaderboard, as well as coaches looking to up their game with program design. In this episode, Sam broke down a framework that he created for developing a base of support that will sustain someone through their entire life. Sam has been my mentor for about two or three years now, and we have these calls every other month. And during our last call, he started to educate me on this framework, this hierarchy that he created. And I had to stop him about halfway through and just say, Sam, this is meant for a podcast. So I'm really excited that uh, he was willing to do that and kind of share this framework with you guys. Uh, most people, they really enjoy the seven habits of this or three steps to do this. And this hierarchy is eight steps or what we'll get into more like six steps on how you can achieve vitality and just a healthy relationship um, with food and with health and fitness. And so it's a really good uh, visual representation, visual way that you guys can um, take notes and see this pyramid of, I can't go to step two before I get step one. I can't go to step four before I get uh, one, two, and three dialed in. So I highly recommend grabbing a piece of paper, grabbing a pen, and taking notes and creating that pyramid so you can kind of visually see what we're talking about. Also, if you do enjoy Sam's uh, content and information, he's been on the show more times than any other guests. And I highly recommend going to check out the other episodes that we've done. First, way back, episode 97, we talked about your physical peak is not your peak of life. Then episode 106, we talked about weightlifting in the sport of CrossFit. And then our most recent one was episode 155, where Sam talked about patience and consistency. So if you like what he has to say, interested to learn more from Sam, check out episode 97, 106, and 155. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a rating, review, and share it on your social medias. Your five-star feedback helps the show grow tremendously and also helps to bring on more incredible guests like Sam. Without further ado, let's get to the show. Let's go. The MyFit Podcast is brought to you by Element. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. 
Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, or paleo diet. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. With none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, and no BS. Healthy hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water plus electrolytes. And it makes sense. You lose both water and sodium when you sweat. So both need to be replaced to prevent things like muscle cramps, headaches, and energy dips. There are several flavors to choose from. My favorite is the citrus salt, which is how I start every single day. And as listeners of the MyFit Podcast, you can now receive a free Element sample pack with any order by using the link www.drinkelement.com forward slash MyFit. Again, that's www.drinkelement.com forward slash M-I-F-I-T. Go get yours now. Sam Smith, welcome to the MyFit Podcast once again. Thank you. I'm uh, honored to be here yet again. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. We um, So most people know that I do my mentorship work with you. And recently we had a mentorship call and you introduced this idea of a nutritional priority hierarchy to me. And I had to just stop and say, you know, before we go any further, this has got to be a podcast. We could do a whole hour just on this. And so um, that's kind of what today is going to be all about. Uh, to give people a little bit of a background, this is a framework that you created and, it, and it's the nutritional hierarchy for developing a base of support that will sustain someone through their life. Understanding, implementation, and consistent action must be shown before moving up to higher levels in this hierarchy. So it's kind of a step-by-step. We're going to take one one, uh, step at a time as we kind of go through what does it mean to live sustainably and have a uh, ultimately a healthy relationship with food. So I look forward to learning myself because I haven't gone through this yet as in detail as you have. So go ahead and take the floor, man. Where do we start? Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, so p- part of how I came to this was I, I have a mentorship program I do that's 12 weeks at a time with coaches. And consistently, we would get on the conversation of nutrition with clients. A lot of these are fitness coaches who have individual clients. They have CrossFit gyms. And you know, clients inevitably will ask them about nutrition and, and how do I approach that? How do I make improvements there? And there was a lot of common challenges that coaches were facing, as did I. Not, I, I still face them, but maybe not to the same degree um, as I once did, where you might give someone a particular protocol, whether it's with macros or some sort of food plan, and maybe they follow it for a week and then they f- fall off. And it goes back and forth like that for months, maybe years at a time. And then you look back and you're like, yeah, we really didn't make any progress there. So. I just started thinking about, well, well, what am I doing now with clients and what have I been doing that has been more successful or more uh, sustainable with clients so that these behaviors, because it is behaviors that we're trying to develop, are maintained through the long haul. It's not a short-term change. Because as you know, a large part of changing a behavior is a a shift in in your identity. You, You see yourself as somebody who does this. So in order to do that, you can't just, you know, the next day I'm, I'm this person who does this. It's like this nice little step progression that slowly morphs you into this different person. So then I started thinking, okay, when I talk to clients, what's the first thing I'm, I'm thinking about? And the first thing I always think about is the, your sleep and wake cycle. So your circadian rhythm, when you go to bed, when you wake up, the quality of that rest, because that's the... The base of the pyramid, as I like to say, that's the foundation. So how much sleep you're getting, the quality of your sleep, that's going to impact your appetite, your energy levels, your digestion, your mood, your um, cognitive function, um, how your body feels when you train, the quality of your training. I mean, it, it's your hormonal levels. I mean, everything is impacted by your sleep. And so if that's not consistent, for me, consistent means... You go to bed at the same time every night. You wake up at the same time every day, ideally without an alarm clock and ideally without any interruptions in the night. That's not as dialed as possible. Then it's going to be hard to see the fruits of everything else that would come after that, which we'll get into. So that's the first step in this hierarchy is one, there needs to be a consistent sleep-wake cycle. So I always start with that with clients. 
And when I get an intake form, if it doesn't look that great or there's some room for improvement, then I just stay there with them and try to really share the importance of this and also have a conversation around how can we make this, how can we improve this with them given their lifestyle and everything right now? What leverage do we have to make adjustments? So that's, that's where we start. And then maybe that's all I give them on the first call. It's like, all right, I want you, we're, we're shifting the bed, we're, we're shifting when you go to bed, your lights are off at nine, which means at eight o'clock, your TV's off, your phone's away, you're reading or you're with your spouse or your partner and you're just you know, relaxing so that when it becomes nine, we can you know, turn the lights off and it's easy for you to get into your, your sleep. And then making sure the environment of your room is supportive of that type of uh, rest that we want. So it's dark and it's cold and uh, there's not a lot of noise. Um, and then we want you to get up at you know, six and, or maybe five, maybe eight hours um, and trying to work towards not needing an alarm. Uh, so then we we roll with that for a month, and then I we check in. How's it going? You know how how did we execute well on this? If not, what were the the shortcomings? How can we you know improve that? And so we might go back and forth on that, go back and forth on that for a month or two, and really try to dial that in. And what inevitably happens is you're doing that, and other things do improve a little bit unknowingly because of the shift that quality sleep will do. You're not even you don't think about. So then it makes the the subsequent steps a lot easier to attain because people are just doing things without thinking about it. Which anytime you're trying to change something, it's always that lead domino that is going to topple over a lot. You're not trying to go for the one that's only going to topple one thing. It's what can I topple that's going to fix six or seven things. Um, so that's step one, which is uh, consistent sleep wake cycle. Now, but before you go to step two, there, there's uh, I recently had Laura Vanderkam on my show, and she's a, mm -hmm. a keynote speaker, a TED speaker, and an author. And, and her specialty is in time management, and she writes mm. a lot of books on time management, helping people optimize their schedules. And, and an aha moment, it's kind of a funny moment that she said on the podcast was that it's funny how everybody has an alarm for when they wake up. We all know that we have to, at a certain time, we have to wake up, but nobody ever sets an alarm or knows what time they go to bed. And because mm -hmm. of that, that's, and she's in the kind of the same thought process, Sam, is that we need to have this consistent sleep and wake cycle as much as we can. Obviously there mm -hmm. are other things in life and kids and things like that. There's just this funny dichotomy of the fact that we all know what time we have to wake up every day, but this going yeah. to bed is kind of this gray area and there's, you know, there's not a set specific time. And when I look at kind of this step one, I, I would agree, I would think that that's in your thought process as well is that people just need to have a definitive time to go to bed, mm -hmm. just like they do a definitive time to wake up. Yep. Or maybe another way of thinking about it is they have a they have a routine that leads them to bed. Because so I think a lot of people come to the end of the day and it's a bit more open-ended because they've had a long day, they've been doing a lot, and they just kind of want to relax. And so they don't want to, they don't want to think they have to do something more rigid again. They almost want it to be more open-ended. And I understand that. Now, what I would what I try to lead people towards is still implementing some sort of routine to set them up well for that next day. Not so it's so rigid and confined where they feel like a prisoner to it. But for example, it's okay. We get home, we start preparing dinner at this time when the spouse gets back or your partner, you guys have your meal together. You give yourself 30, 40 minutes to veg out and watch some TV or something. And then it's okay, now time to take a shower and, and kind of wind down for bed. And then now maybe you're reading or you're doing some mobility work. And then now you've allowed your system to calm down. Because that's the big thing is you're just trying to get your nervous system to relax and, and be ready to sleep and want to sleep. That's huge. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, that's a cool uh, noticing on her part around we have this ex extremely definitive start time, but we don't really have um, discipline around the end time which will impact the start time because if your end time is on point, then there's a good chance you really don't need an alarm for the start point, which is really ideal. Like waking up to alarm uh, without going down that is, is not ideal. And, and it's possible to be able to wake up at 5am or 4.30 if you need to without an alarm consistently because you're teaching your body 
that this is my cycle, this is my routine, it's, this is when I want to wake. One thing I wanted to mention, uh, there's, there's, there's eight steps in this hierarchy. And so the first one through six are what I call foundational steps. So these are long-term tools. These are things that I, I believe everybody ought to have a really sound understanding and awareness for the rest of their lives. And if they do, they can take care of themselves with food and how to nourish themselves no matter what they do. Seven and eight are what I call optional steps. So these are short-term tools. And these are things that we could implement for a finite period of time to make a change that aligns with some sort of performance or outcome we're going after, but they're not, they're not long-term foundational steps. So that's kind of the, the, the overview of the, the hierarchy. Before we go to number two, just one more thing mm-hmm. on, on consistent wake cycle. I'm curious, um, you've worked with a lot of people, a lot of athletes, Sam, there had to have been a time where one of your clients or athletes really had a hard time with getting more sleep. Maybe they're used to the, Hey, I've, I've always gotten six hours, Sam, why do I need to get eight? Or they're kind of resistant to it, or maybe it's, it's just difficult for them. Can you mm-hmm. dive into a little bit of the dialogue or the back and forth? How do you kind of break through that? Because from here on out, we're going to get more into nutrition, hydration, things like that. Mm-hmm. But this is kind of in its own bucket, if you will. Yep. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you could almost take that idea with, with anything you present to a client or an athlete where there's some pushback. And maybe, and you said it perfectly, I've always done it this way, or this is how I've done it. Uh, so why do I need to change it? So that's, that's an interesting thing to hear because then that, what that's telling you is they believe that that's the way it needs to be done. And so why, why you, you're going to have to give them very convincing evidence. And of course, you can't just say, well, I'm the coach, so you're going to do what I say. So a, nice, a better approach, a more, a more productive approach would be, well, tell me why or when did you first learn or adopt this method? So for sleep, let's say on the top of sleep, it's like, when did you first learn that six hours was good? And you know, I'd love to know more about that. If you're trying to understand their rationale for why six hours is a good amount of rest. And that could lead you down to them hearing a superior or somebody they value who said, I don't need a lot of sleep because I have to work hard and I have to put in a lot of hours. And if you sleep a lot, then you're lazy, which is a pretty, it's still a a strong narrative in the, in the Western world that like sleeping too much. Now it's shifting because you hear big CEOs who talk about, I have to have my rest. If I don't rest, I can't function. And there's so much white paper research that shows how important sleep is. So it's, if people are that um, dogmatic about it, you can always just give it to them be like, okay, well, here's these three papers. I think these are interesting. And I would love for you to, you know, check them out and see what your thoughts are. And we can have a discussion around it. So taking stock of like how dug in their heels are with this idea that I don't need a lot of rest. Um, that's big. Uh, I, so that's one angle. If they are more malleable and it's like, yeah, I do this, but I, I have wiggle room, then I usually will connect it to what they care the most about, which is for me, mainly CrossFitters who are trying to compete. So it's about the performance. So then I go the angle of, my gla- my cup of water analogy that I use all the time that works really well and it's simple. You know, you, you start your day with a full glass of water, and, and this is where sleep comes in. And by the end of the day, you use all the water, and so the water represents all of your energy that you can use for the day. Now, when you rest and when you eat, that those are the two resources to which you refill your cup. So if you're under eating or if you're under resting. The next day, your cup isn't all the way to the top. So you have less energy available. And that doesn't mean that you're going to do less training, but you can't get out as much of your training as you would otherwise because your cup's 70% full. And then what happens? It compounds. So then the next day, you have less and less. And then you start maybe getting injuries. You start having little issues. Your training's not as great. You don't feel as good. So... That's, and then of course, with those performance athletes, they want to train more. And then I go, well, if you want to train more, then you have to have more energy available, which means you probably need more rest. You probably need more fuel. And then of course, the more indirect measures, you need less stress in your environment. So whether that's relationships, your work environment, uh, 
you know, uh, in, environmental stressors, all these things. So the, the glass cup of water analogy works pretty well in getting them to realize, oh, okay, I, I see why I probably need to rest more because rest and food are your two ways of refueling your, your cup. Perfect. Okay. So step one, consistent wake and sleep cycle. I got that dialed in. What's number two? <laughs> okay. Two is hydration. So hydration, the, the bare minimum being 60% of body weight in pounds and ounces per day. So to give you an easy example, if you took a 200 pound male, you would need 120 ounces, which is a gallon, I think it's 128 ounces. So you're almost about a gallon per day, which is quite a bit of water for a male. And then let's say a 140 pound female, she needs 84 ounces as a minimum. Now, again, if you're training more, doing double sessions, or you have long sessions because you're a competitor, then you're probably in also the environment you're in. If it's more humid and it's hot and you sweat a lot, then those requirements are automatically going to go up along with probably electrolytes and making sure you can pull water into your cells. So that, let me go on a quick little tangent here. When, when you drink water, you're not, you're not just trying to drink water. What you're trying to do is you're, trying, you're drinking water, but then you got to take the water and you have to pull the water into your cells so then they can help hydrate your cells so they can function appropriately. So there has to be a concentration gradient of sorts to pull water into the cell. This is partly why you have electrolytes or you have sodium or you have uh, certain vitamins and minerals, which help create a concentration gradient with your water so that you can absorb the water. Because what you'll hear a lot is people start drinking more, but they start peeing more, which means the water is just going in and coming out. They're not absorbing the water. So trace minerals, there's a company called Concentrace. You can get it on Amazon. And when people are underhydrated or overly stressed, I'll usually recommend that they do, uh, they use that and they do uh, uh, 10 drops per liter. And it's just, it's, it's trace minerals that help with the absorption of your water. And so that allows you to utilize your water more effectively. Because again, you could drink 60 ounces of body weight in of 60% of body weight in ounces per day. But if you're not absorbing the water, then you're not really using it. So that's a real important piece that people often miss. Um, but water, as, as you know, our bodies are made up of 60 to 75%, something along those lines of water. So if we're dehydrated in the littlest amount, cell function goes down, cognitive function goes down, um, joints feel tighter, uh, energy levels drop, uh, heart rate, blood pressure becomes a little bit less stable. I mean, there's a lot of things that get impacted by water. Water is really important. Um, so that, that need, especially I would say in, in climates where you, you're going to be more susceptible to um, sweating a lot and also in cold climates. So it kind of goes both ways because when you are colder, it's harder to drink because you're just like, well, I'm not really thirsty. And so then what happens? You just, you, you get very dehydrated. Um, and you can also think of water as a, uh, a detoxing element. So it helps clear the system. It helps move things. It helps ensure that the pipes are flowing. There's no stagnation. So if there's not enough water flowing in the pipes, then there's a good chance that things are getting stagnant. And when things get stagnant, toxicity rises, you're possibly more inflamed and you're more susceptible to, to issues. So water is huge. That's a, um, and that's why it's, it's step two. Well, I like that this is a ladder format and you're basically saying that we can't go to step two with before step three, you can't go to three without step, you know, it's kind of, we have to go in that order where some yeah. people they're thinking, you know, we're getting into this nutritional priority, priority hierarchy and they're going, we haven't even talked about food yet. And reality yeah. is there a lot of, there's a lot of people out there, Sam, that could spend a lot of time on step one and two before yeah. we, and, but, but they're thinking about step four, five, and six, talking about just getting to the basics of the basics. Yeah. Well, I th and that, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I, cause I probably should have mentioned this up front, but that's okay. With this hierarchy, we, we have to think about like, what's the end state we want for people? Like, where do I want people to end up when they're done working with me? Cause nobody's gonna be with me forever. I want them to walk away being competent enough to take care of themselves with nutrition, with their lifestyle, with their health, 
And ideally through our training, they can take care of themselves with their training as well. They understand program design, how to make great training so they can feel good and, and keep progressing. So the end goal is I want them to have all these tools. And in order to have all these tools, I have to make sure that they, they really understand one, the value of the tools, and then they're implementing the tools for long periods of time. So if we rush or if we try to pack on too much too fast, they just don't stick. It's just, it's any, and any human can, t- can tell you that because you'd be like, how did that um, BJJ class you wanted to start going to? Yeah, I went once a week and then, you know, it kind of fell off or, or even CrossFit. Yeah, I went once and then I didn't, then my knee bothered me and then I took two weeks off and then I stopped and I came back. You know, so it's, it's this very, you got to be very patient. You got to recognize it's going to take a lot of time. And I think if you, if you go in with the right uh, frame of reference around time, the right time horizon, that's what I usually say, it makes it, more digestible. <laughs> uh, no pun intended. intended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because, you know, I, most people think, well, I'm going to fix things in three months or two months. Like, well, you messed things up for the last 10 years. So why do you think you're going to fix it in three months? You probably need now 10 years to fix it. So if you maybe go in with that mentality, one, it won't seem like such a big hurdle. And two, there's probably a greater chance of success. So, yes, it's not easy. Like, none of this is easy. Um, I think. It just gives maybe coaches a different way of looking at nutrition and how to maybe how to approach it in a different way with clients that that'll stick for a longer period of time. And also for the people listening who aren't a coach, but they're you know interested and they want to learn and grow themselves, this can be a really great way for you to approach these simple things that often get neglected to really see how it impacts your life and, and all pieces around nutrition and lifestyle. Yeah. I was listening to a pretty awesome podcast. One of the best I listened to recently with Ryan Holiday. He's got a brand new book Mm. out called Discipline is Destiny. And he talked about Mm -hmm. the story about um, this gal who is a Olympic cyclist and her coach Mm. would always give her program design. And it would say things like, you know, um, complete this in two hours and she'd do it in 90 minutes or, you know, do this in 20 minutes. She'd do everything faster. And the coach just wrote back at one point was like, do you want to go fast now? Or do you want to go fast when it matters? And it was a big light bulb moment for her. You and I both have worked with people. We know people that just want to go, 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 go now. And the essence of the story was, do you have enough patience? Mm -hmm. And what he called is, do you have enough discipline in your discipline to be able to slow down and know when it's time to peak? I kind of see a a comparison a little Mm -hmm. bit with this hierarchy of, are you able to, because somebody could look at this, um, uh, Sam and go, okay, I'm going to do one through through four this week. Let's do one through four. And, and to me, that's exactly what Ryan Holiday is talking about is you're going too fast too soon. I'd rather you go fast later, maybe fast yeah. is the best word in this case scenario, but I'd rather you carry this deeper into your life than nail it for one or two weeks. hundred percent. That's a great, yeah, the, that story probably is, it resonates super well with the competitor who's sure. like actually peaking for something. Yes. Uh, but it, it, it parallels beautifully here. It's, do you, do you want to... Do you want to have great competence over your health later in life to where you're not so dependent on a lot of things that most Americans and all humans, not all humans, but most humans uh, have to fall victim to? Um, Or do you want to just try to fix it right now and most likely fall into some sort of yo-yo diet, which a lot of people do? So uh, yeah, the patience, uh, knowing the time horizon are are huge. And even with the competitors, when I talk to them, it's we got to make sure we're we're, we're both aligned with like, well, how long is this actually going to take? You know, you want to go to the games? Like this is probably a six-year project. That's a long time. Have you ever done anything for six years that you've committed to? And if you haven't, well, this is going to be a new experience. This is not going to be easy. And so for people who, let's say, they're caring more about nutrition and trying to really dial in and develop these habits that can last them a long time, you could, you could probably leverage something like that, whether it's, um, you know, raising their child for 18 years and thinking about, okay, that was a long process, but you had to be committed. And, and of course, you know, and it was a very fruitful experience. Now we are in this new stage and we want to really dial in uh, our nutrition and our lifestyle to really set you up well for the second half of life. Well, this could be an 18 year project and you have experience to draw on of what that was like, their setbacks, but you know, you're, you're, you're patient because you know that the end result will be fruitful in some sort. 
Um, so that's always a, a helpful way of, of reframing it for people, um, which hopefully adds, uh, uh, adds, it's a nice supplement to that story you shared. Cause I thought that, that's a really good one. Cause you see that a lot. People just want to go fast way too soon. Cool. Number three. Okay. Three is consistent meal timing each day. Now this, there is, I'll, I'll start by saying there is value in, in learning how to be resilient and uh, handling some chaos, but it's more of an acute thing, not a chronic thing. So the, the chronic, well, chronic is the wrong word, but the, the ongoing approach would be that there's great consistency with when you're feeding your body and the types of foods you're feeding your body, because the body loves routine and consistency. That's why it's never uh, surprising to see why rich froning or why certain successful people have done so well because they set up their life, the people around them, their daily routine, um, everything. They set up everything to support whatever they care about achieving because the body, the mind, everything, it loves, it loves less surprises, less chaos. And so the more you can control for that, the more possibly resilient, possibly, um, well, consistent you'll be, obviously. So teaching people how to have meals at the same time throughout the day can be great. And one more uh, salient example would be, if we always eat breakfast at 7 a.m., at about 6.30, 6.45, the, the brain and the gut start to communicate that there's going to be food coming soon. So what does it do? It starts shifting the nervous system into a state for digestion and preparing for food. So you start releasing chemicals that are going to help and enzymes that are going to help with the breakdown of that food. And so then when you go eat, there's a greater chance that you're going to absorb and assimilate that food a lot more effectively than you would otherwise. Whereas if you just threw in the meal at 10 and normally you're working and thinking really hard, that's going to be a really hard jump for your body uh, to make from a digestive standpoint. So teaching people the value of, of, of creating consistency around when you're eating and maybe the types of foods you're eating is a nice way of developing rhythm and routine, which then becomes automatic. And when it becomes automatic, it becomes a part of your identity. And then when it's a part of your identity, you don't even, you're not thinking about it. It's just, you do, you're just doing what you do. So consistent meal timing is, uh, is, is number three for that reason. I like what you said about, uh, you go back to what you said, acute, what did you say? Acute, have flexibility. Uh, acute, like an acute stressor because yeah. it, we're, our, we're, we're designed in one sense to handle acute stressors, you know, like if a, a lion's in our area or our little, our little town and we got to like fight or, or get it out, like that's an acute stress response. And, and we need to have the tools to do that. But what happens in our culture, because we don't have to worry about the lion, we always have this like chronic kind of stress that's just pulling down our resilience. So one way we can counteract that is we create rhythm and consistency to limit that perceived stress on the system that then ideally builds a bit more resilience back into the tank so that if you had to have an acute stress response, you could handle that. So for example, um, you know, you're, you're great with your meal time and consistency, and then you take a trip to Europe. So your clock gets way off and now you're eating a meal at like midnight your time when normally you're sleeping, but it's 9 a.m. local time. So you're able to handle that a little bit more effectively than other people. And you're able to, let's say, adapt more quickly than other people um, with less uh, residual effects. So I don't want people to think that you have to be, um, you know, like religious on my meals have to be at the same time all the time because you, you got to be able to be flexible and, and it's okay to have moments where uh, you're off course. But the, the key that I'm getting at with this guy being number three is you, you want to have the intention and the habit built in that you just, you do eat consistently around the same time. So it's part of your routine. That's, that's the, the, the basis support you're trying to operate from. Yeah. Great point. I wanted you to highlight that because I think sometimes we can get, um, I don't know if over is the word, maybe it is, but so much mm -hmm. to a point where you get thrown off just a little, Sam, and you're like, 
you lose your shit for the day because you know yeah. you, you're you're an hour later. So I'm, I'm really glad you pointed that out. Yeah. Okay. So the first one: consistent sleep and wake. Two: hydration. Three: consistent meal time each day. What's number four? Four is food hygiene. So this would be chewing, energy state, location, stimulation, and that's not an exhaustive list, but those are those are four good words that we can leverage um, to talk about. Food hygiene. So food hygiene would be, you think about, you know, dental hygiene, you know, you're taking care of, you're taking care of your food and the, um, the, uh, the, the eating and the, the usage of the food. So let me give more context when you're eating again, you, you kind you have two, two, operating systems, so to speak, for the nervous system. You have the sympathetic nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic nervous system, you're pretty much in all day at varying levels outside of when you eat and when you sleep, ideally. When you eat and you sleep would be the times when you would be in more of a parasympathetic state where you're resting and digesting as you commonly hear and then fight or flight for a sympathetic state. So with food hygiene, we're wanting to get the body and mind ready to digest and be in that parasympathetic state. Back to my idea around consistent meal timing to prep or uh, to um, what would be the word to prepare the system for food coming in. So in addition to that consistency, now we want to look at the actual context in which we're eating food. So are we sitting down when we eat? Because if we're sitting down, there's a good chance we're going to be a lot less stimulated than if we're standing up or if we're in our car, or if we're on the go walking. Chewing. So chewing is probably something that's very, very undervalued, especially with uh, military or former military uh, people. And I, I know a lot from experience because you're, you're taught to eat fast because you got to get moving, you got things to do. Um, so if you're... Let's talk about chewing for a little bit. So the first line of attack with your food is in your mouth. You release amylase, which helps break down sugars, the bonds and carbohydrates. And so the, the more you're chewing, the, the more you're encoding that bolus of food with enzymes that are going to help break it down. And the more you break down your food, the easier it is to digest. And the easier it is to digest, the easier it is to assimilate and absorb those nutrients into the body and into the cells. And so when, you're, when you are consciously trying to chew more, and I usually tell people 25 to 30 bites per chew, um, which if you just put your fork down, it, it becomes easy to do that. You're improving the ability for your body to extract nutrients. It's so the analogy I give people that I think holds water um, and, and, and maybe provide some good context is if, you're, if you ate 100 grams of sweet potato and you're on the go, and you're, you're stressed, you got a lot on your mind, you're looking at your phone, and you don't chew it that well, and you only absorb 20 grams of the 100. So you're 100, 20 grams of absorption means you're actually utilizing 20 grams of the potato and the 80 grams you're crapping out. Whereas if you had another person and they ate 50 grams of sweet potato, they were sitting down, they were chewing, they weren't stressed, and they absorbed 40 grams of the 50, that second person is going to get more nutritional value from half of the amount. So that's a, that's a challenge on the notion of calories in, calories out, because we're not thinking about the absorption of the food that you're getting. And the absorption is going to be impacted by your hygiene, your chewing, the environment you're in. So that first piece around chewing, being able to sit down, put your fork down, chew your food, taste your food, and, and swallow it easily. Wouldn't the other obvious part too be that it just prevents people from overeating as well? Yes, big time. So you, you become satiated a lot more quickly, which for those wanting to lose weight is huge because what you're doing is you're, you're, you're reestablishing your satiety signals, which a lot of people lose connection with, whether they're following a rigid diet plan or they're just trying to gain a bunch of weight. Because um, remember, our bodies are designed to handle and regulate all these things really effectively. So some of these, these principles are aimed at reestablishing the tools we already have in our system. So yes, you become, you become full a lot quicker when you start chewing more, but you start absorbing more of your food 
So you start feeling better, you start feeling more energized. And then as your body adapts to this increase in nutrients that you're getting in, your appetite level will probably go back up a bit, especially for those who are competing and training a lot. Because that obviously that happens quite a bit where I'll go, all right, we're going to eat this, but I want you to really focus. I want a big priority around chewing. And then they'll go, yeah, I'm not my meal. I, it's hard to get all the food in. And then I go, that's okay. Just keep keep doing it and give it a few weeks. And then slowly they're starting to, they're able to add more and more in because they're just, their body's adapting to the requirements that they need. Um, so that's big. And the other indirect player with this is the inflammation. So food inflammation is huge. And when you don't break things down really well, you become more susceptible to inf- 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 um, systemic inflammation from food. And so you get tighter, your joints ache a bit more, you're a bit more bloated. Uh, maybe gassy. Um, you just, you know, you feel fuller. Uh, so there's a lot of things that can happen when digestion is is negatively impacted due to the, the food hygiene piece. So that's chewing. Energy state, I kind of talked about sitting down, you're relaxed, you're not overly stimulated. You know, you know you have enough time to eat because that often happens where people are like, I got 15 minutes. And so you're and and I'm I'm not a saint either because this happens to, I'm not a saint either. This happens to me sometimes where I'm like, oh, I only got 15 minutes and I got this call and I'll rush. Uh, so, you know, I'm not perfect, but this is, and part of that too is me, you know, building in better uh, safeguards. So I have the time available, which I'm, I've worked on quite a bit, but just to share an example. Um, so making sure that you, you have time in your schedule to sit down and eat. And I'll do that a lot with people who, coach like three classes in a row or something. So I used to do that back in the day and you can't really eat. I mean, maybe you have a bar or something or a protein powder uh, between classes, which is okay. Like that's not the end of the world. So what you would do in that circumstance is, okay, before I start this three hour um, set of classes, I'm going to give myself 30 minutes to have a meal, a, a good full meal. I sit down, I eat it, I chew it well. And then I do my three hours. If I need a little snack, some nuts or some protein, I'll have it after the second class. And then once I'm done, you know, an hour, 30 minutes later, I'll have another big meal. So that comes back to some responsibility around planning and setting yourself up for success, uh, despite the challenges in your, your schedule. The, so location too, again, if you're in a noisy gym and you're talking to people and you're moving around a lot, um, that can be challenging with the food hygiene because you're, you're, you know, you're just really stimulated, um, which ties into the stimulation point as well. So location stimulation, let's put those two together. Uh, so just trying to make sure that your environment is conducive for digestion. Um, and a real quick side note, I was in Europe recently with my wife for our honeymoon. And in Italy, Italy was super fascinating from this lens with food because they're, they're, very, they're still very traditional in how they approach food. And what I mean by that is there were, there were no fast food restaurants. There were no Starbucks. It was all restaurants, cafes, and that was it for food. And then when you go there, people sit down, they either talk to each other or they just like sit there and contemplate while they're drinking their espresso and they're eating a baguette. Um, or if they're having dinner, their dinners are like three hours long because they they take their time and they don't rush and they enjoy the meal and they're, they're calm and they're collected and they can communicate. Um, and so it was super cool to see that because then we went to Paris and Paris is a lot more Westernized. And then you can see more of the Western influence and in how people eat uh, along with fast food restaurants and Starbucks. Um, and so that's something I think we, we definitely lose because we're always so we're in a rush and we're always moving. And so I, I would challenge people to put a little bit more intention into how can I improve my food hygiene? How can I uh, re- give more respect to my food so that my body can get more out of that food as well? Well, simple tips. Let's give people some, some, tip, some simple ones here. Put the fork down. What, yep. are some, what are some other simple things they could try today? Uh, 20 plus chews per bite are... Yeah, 20, 20 to 30 chews per bite. Put the fork down. Don't allow yourself to have any liquids when you eat. So by chewing more, that will help uh, make sure that the food 
you can digest it and, and get it down your throat without any issues. Because most of the time when people need a lot of water and they eat, it's because they can't swallow it because it's so like they didn't break it down enough. So I like people to, you know, maybe you have some water with some lemon before you have your meal and then challenge yourself not to need any water during your meal. And if you do, then maybe it's way too salty or you got way too much hot sauce or something like that. So maybe you got to upgrade your cooking ability. Um, but I can't help you there. Um, so yes, uh, fork down, which usually helps with the chewing 20 to 30 chews per bite, uh, no water during the meal and, um, try not to go on your phone, leave put your phone away. And ideally you're with someone, if you're not, then just, you know, give yourself 15 minutes to just be present and enjoy your meal. Awesome. Okay. So that's number four. What's number five? Five, we have food quality. So thinking about whole foods, less processed foods, uh, and then good variety. So quality, I mean, you could, you could make a whole spectrum going from ultra processed all the way to, you know, an apple that's from a tree out in somebody's farm. So uh, I'm not here to say that you have to go all the way to one end of the spectrum. What I'm, what I'm getting at is a lot of people there's a good amount of processed foods in their diet, maybe unknowingly. And so at this point, I'm trying to help them slowly pull out some of the processed things for less processed things. So more single ingredient items, whether it's fruits, vegetables, meats, um, even yogurt, uh, eggs, uh, uh, nuts. Um, what else can I think about? Yeah, I mean, those, are, those are pretty good options. So just trying to minimize it's not that you're going to go, you know, cold turkey on this, but it's like how can I, how can I take what I'm getting in on a weekly basis and just slowly move it to the right towards a little bit better quality, a little bit less process, um, a little bit more fiber, possibly, um, just just better choices. That's all, you know. And again, it's a it's a slow process. So somebody might give me a food log or something, or we talk about what they're eating, and I'll go. Again, let's assume that these first four steps are on point at this, at this stage. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about what you're eating now. And I go, all right, I see a little bit too many bars in here, too many protein bars. Um, like maybe they're getting two a day, which is quite a bit. So I go, let's, let's go down to one and let's replace the other one with some nuts or some protein powder or something like that. So the protein powder is not fully... Uh, unprocessed, but it's less processed than probably the bar, maybe, arguably. Um, and there might be some uh, better nutritional value from the protein powder. So we play with that for a little bit and then it's, okay, let's remove the other one. Let's replace it with something more wholesome. So it's just this slow process of trying to minimize how much crap you're getting in your diet. You know? And so that's, uh, that's, that's usually where I go with that and then just kind of watch um, what choices people make. And, uh, and if, you know, if they're the, the type of person who, well, I don't eat vegetables or I don't like this, or I don't like that. Well, that takes a little bit of work because now you have to change their belief around who they are and what they do. Cause I had a client and he, uh, he told me, he said, uh, I eat like a 12 year old and he's like 32 and, and has a family. I'm like a 12 year old. I'm like, well, why, when did you first say that? Or who told you that? He's like, well, my mom told me that when I was young, that I eat like a 12 year old. And I've always, she's always said that to me. And I go, really, that's interesting. I'm like, and so do you, do you believe you eat like a 12 year old? He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, do you want to eat like a 12 year old? He's like, well, I mean, not really. I mean, I want to eat better, but you know, that's how I eat. I'm like, okay, well then maybe, maybe this is something we can, we can change because you right now believe that you eat like a 12 year old. And so how are you going to change it if that's your belief? You're not. You're just going to keep doing that. So we had a good conversation kind of back and forth on that. Um, and then I tried to attach it to his daughter because uh, she, she would watch how he ate and she would want to replicate it. So like if he was eating um, some pizza or something, she'd always be like, oh, I want, I want pizza or I want this, I want that. And it'd always be crappy food. And so we started making small changes. I was like, okay, well, what vegetables 
do you, if, if somebody pointed a gun to your head that you could eat and you could be okay with it's like, well, I don't mind broccoli. It's like, if it's cooked right, I'm okay with it. I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about how you can prepare it. So I gave him some ideas with roasting it, olive oil, salt, and pepper. Um, and he tried that. He's like, yeah, this isn't too bad. And so he started adding that a couple times a week. And then we, we came up with a protein smoothie and I had him throw in some frozen kale and you can't even taste it, but that way, like we're sneaking it in a little, um, and then we start adding some better protein options for his meals. And so of course his daughter starts watching this. And so then she starts asking like, Oh, I want, I want some chicken, uh, with my meal, or I want, I want to add some broccoli to it. And so that became a way for us to connect what he really cared about, which was being a role model for his daughter and recognizing that the, the, his, his actions and behaviors were impacting that and him not wanting her to be like him. And so that was a way for us to make some subtle changes around like how he saw himself with food and how he ate. So yeah, what a cool story. Was, I think, I think yeah. the, another big theme out of that is pick one small thing here. It's a slow drip, isn't it, Sam? I yeah, mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of a common theme of this whole thing is like, let's not, let's not take five things. Like let's just pick, let's literally just pick one thing. Yeah. And again, I think uh, either I mentioned it at the start of this or before we start talking, you know, you're always trying to pick one thing that knocks down a bunch of dominoes. You're not trying to pick one domino that knocks down one domino. So that's, and that's why these are ordered the way they are, because in my opinion, if, if you hit one, two, and three, they knock down a ton of dominoes. They'll fix four, five, and six, like unconsciously, you'll start doing those things better than you think. Um, so that's five. And let's go to six. Or anything to add on five? Yep. Six. Right. Six. Food quantity. So now we're now we're getting a little bit more picky and meticulous. Maybe uh, you know we want to look at what we're eating and how we're eating a little bit more intensely. Uh, but again, we have this good base built, so we know we're, we're, we haven't built this house on on sand. We've built it on rock. So we have a great foundation. So we can we can lean into this area of of getting a little bit more picky and let's say a less and less uh, biologically rooted um, because let's say back in uh, paleo days, quantity well quantity would be interesting actually because they don't know when they would have another big thing of food so they would eat kind of relative to what was available. Um, so maybe that's actually not a good example. So uh, let's forget that. Let's go. <laughs> let's go back to. Um, let's just go back to quantity. So let's say you're training for performance and you, you have some aspirations around maybe gaining some muscle or even losing a little bit of body weight because it makes sense for your goals. Well, now you could look at more specifically, like, well, how much am I getting in during the day? Um, how do I feel after those meals? Am I always kind of full after meals? Do I feel satiated? Uh, but I feel like I could eat more. So the quantity piece is just paying a little bit more attention to how you feel after your meals to then dictate, do I need to add more or, or should I take some away? Because sometimes you'll have people where you'll have dinner and let's say you, you chewed it well and, and you, know, you didn't rush it, but you finished like, well, I could eat more. I'm, I'm like still hungry. Well, that could be a good signal from the body that you do need more. Whereas if you, know, you just rushed and shoveled it down you know, if you keep eating more and actually maybe you eat too much. So at this point, it's, it's maybe adding a little bit more awareness around how the body is feeling based on what you're eating. And then also how it looks or how it's impacting your training, your cognitive function and your daily energy. Um, Cause that's usually one of the, the first things I'll look at with clients. If training's a little off, whether they're not recovering as well, or maybe they got a little uh, injury of sorts, I'll go, okay, well, how's our rest? How's our hydration? And how's the food intake? Because one of those could be a little off. And those are, of course, going to drastically impact the uh, ability for the body to recover and express energy. So I think I would look at this more from a lens of um, paying more attention to how your body is responding to what, how much you're giving it. And then if you need to make tweaks, because this isn't, I don't want people to think this is where you start tracking your food and measuring it because it's not, it's just being a little bit more mindful of how your body feels and responds to how much you're eating on a daily basis. 
That was interesting that you said ensuring it's enough. In my time in this in the fitness space, Sam, mm-hmm. both as per- personally and professionally, and with my wife doing nutrition coaching and just kind of being in that from a little bit of a distance, what I've seen is that a lot of people, it seems like a majority of people are actually under eating. And once they start eating more, either performance goes up and or their body composition changes a ton, which for a lot of people out there, they hear that and they go, that doesn't make any sense. You want me to eat more? Now, now, now I look better. Can you break that down a little bit on why you say ensuring it's enough? Yeah. Well, most people, and this is anything new, most people do, will under eat for say four or five days. They'll eat say 1500 calories. And then they, on the weekend, eat 3,500 calories unknowingly because people are horrible at reporting how much they eat. There's been ton, ton, tons of studies looking at that. People are, are poor, uh, determiners of how much food they're actually getting in. And a lot of food is, is marked inappropriately for how many calories it has and the macronutrient breakdown. So there, there's, there's flaws on both sides of the equation there. Um, so while people think they do are under eating, if they're not losing weight consistently, then they're not really under eating. There's, they're either overeating or they are getting enough in, but the way they're laying it out isn't great. So when I wrote ensuring it's enough, food everybody has a unique relationship with food, the way they think about it, what role it plays, how much power it has over them. Um, and at the end of the day, food is, is information or it's fuel that creates information for the body and the mind. So if we look at food more objectively as fuel and information, it removes some of the emotion that's tied up into it. And when we look at it from that lens, we're there, there might be a better chance for us to see that we need to ensure we get enough to support the, the daily habits we have, the things that are important to us, whether it's our training, our business, our coaching, our programming, um, whatever it might be. Because your food, again, food and sleep, those are the two that are going to impact, again, that, that glass of water, how full it gets each day. And so by looking at food as, okay, I'm filling up my tank, it's not like the determiner and me being lean or fat, then, you know, your perception of it shifts because then it's more about, I got to make sure I'm getting enough fuel in. Otherwise these things that I care about are actually going to suffer quite a bit. So ensuring it's enough is, is speaking to getting enough food in to support your function and support what matters, which is for you, it's your, your coaching, your business, your training, your podcast, your learning, your relationship with your fiance and your family. Like you need, you need fuel to do all those things at the high, at the level you want. Um, and then for me, very similar. Um, so that's huge. Cause I think what that does too, is it, it puts food in a different light for people. It's not like this, you know, gatekeeper of, uh, body, um, um, body, uh, what would be the word? Uh, feeling good about your body versus not feeling good. It's a gatekeeper for allowing you to do your tasks to the level that you want and having great fulfillment and success with that because you need it. It plays an important role. I love it. Cool. Um, so that's one through six. Those are our yes. foundational steps. I know we're really cutting close on time. Do you want to yeah. go through the optional yeah. ones as well? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, we can. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So those are foundational steps, long-term tools. So again, we hit all six of those and we got them dialed. We are, we're good to go. We have the tools we need to take care of ourselves with food and our lifestyle. Cause there's lifestyles built into those six as well. It's not just food related. Now we get into optional steps. Now these are the steps that usually nutrition coaches and fitness coaches start with, with people. And I've done it too. So it's not like I've, you know, I've, I've, I've done this perfectly. I've, this is how I learned. Um, and again, this is my opinion. So this is how I look at it. And if you don't agree, that's fine. I'm not taking any, um, um, that's, that's all good. So seven is monthly food tracking check-ins. So now at this point, there's probably a specific goal or outcome we're going after. And so now I want to look at it with, a, with more of a fine tooth and comb where I'm, I'm saying, okay, I want you to send me three days of eating three days a week or well, three days of eating each week for a month. Let's look at what we're eating, what you're getting in. 
and then determine what we need to change to make adjustments based upon this goal. Um, and also, are there things in there that we could improve or sub out for something else? Because maybe your body doesn't respond well to it unknowingly, or it just causes uh, you know disruptions in your energy because some foods don't agree with us that we might not be cognizant of. Um, so that's what seven is. It's just starting to now possibly weigh and measure or just writing out what you're eating. Maybe you're not even measuring it yet and weighing it. You're just, okay, this is what I had an apple. I had about, you know, uh, two big pieces of chicken and I had a, like a third of a plate of rice. It's like, okay, good. And then this meal, I did this, this, I did that. Okay, good. So now we have a rough idea. And then for me, I can kind of look at that and go, okay, maybe, maybe we need you know, a little bit more, or maybe we need a little bit more of this, or maybe we actually need to take a little bit away. Um, so that's what seven would be where I'm, I'm making them become a lot more, uh, what would be the word, um, conscious of the actual food that they're getting in and the size of it and the amount on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And that, so this is all, this is short-term tools why aren't they long-term tools? Well, when you're 70, do you want to have to watch your food intake on a daily basis and weigh and measure it? I was giving I, you a softball. I know you were. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't met someone yet that wants to uh, do that um, because I don't, in my opinion, I don't think that's the pathway to a, a, a good fulfilling life is you have to, you're a slave to your food. You know, you have to have your your scale with you all the time. Um, that's, that's not good. So that's why this is a, an optional step and it's a, it's a temporary step. Um, and it's, and it's not, it's not bad. It, it has, a, it plays a role. You know, everything can be good. You know, nothing, uh, nothing is good or bad thinking makes it so by Shakespeare. So everything has a role. It's just all about the context in which you're, you're using that. Cause I weighed and measured my food for like a year and a half. And it was great. It was a lot of learning and understanding portion size and all these things. I think there's a lot of value in people spending a, a, a finite period of time where they're playing with that when they have those foundational steps built, because it, it can add another um, degree of awareness around food. And um, well, I should say more so for the performance person, because if you're just trying to live healthy, I don't even think you really need to dive into those. Like you can, your life might be better without even dipping your toe into weighing and measuring. In my opinion, you just learn those six steps and you're going to be set up really well. Um, so yeah, so that's seven. We're starting to track, we're getting more meticulous and paying attention to what's going on, which then leads us to eight, the final step, which would be daily weighing and measuring food. So like intense tracking, which you'll see with a lot of athletes and possibly a lot of clients that a lot of fitness coaches work with. I know I did that. I can, t I could so many clients that we have our first call and I go, okay, based off your BMR, how much you're training, this is probably how many calories you need. And then this is the breakdown of the macros you want. And then I give it to people. And, uh, there's, there's a better way of going about that. Um, because that probably worked with, you know, one out of 50 people that it, like it, it actually played a vital role. And that's probably because unknowing to me, they had a lot of those first six steps pretty dialed. And so they had the base support to then go aggressively uh, into the food. It's similar with training. You know, if you're going to give people muscle ups and pistols, well, you need to have all the requisite strength, the range of motion, the motor control, you need to have all that built to then go, yeah, I can give you this combination and you'll be fine. Um, so that's, that's, that's training is a great parallel here with food and, and lifestyle. So eight is daily weighing and measuring food, uh, intense tracking, as I call it. Those are the short-term tools. Cool. So yep. to put it all together here. So the first step is consistent sleep and wake cycle. Second is hydration, 60% of body weight in pounds and ounces per day. Three is consistent meal timing each day. Four is food hygiene, chewing, energy state, location, stimulation. Five is food quality, whole foods, less processed, daily variety. Six is food quantity, watching the amount, ensuring it's enough. And then our optional steps are step seven and eight, monthly food tracking check-ins, and then daily weighing and measuring food intense tracking. 
we were to kind of button all this up here in the last minute or two, Sam, any, any closing thoughts as you kind of put all this together? Uh, well, <laughs> this is a lot and it is it's a lot. definitely, it's a lot and it's definitely different than how I think a lot of people, especially in our world of CrossFit, uh, think about food and nutrition. Um, so I hope. Why, it, why do you say that? Why do you think that? I, I, because giving people macros is a short-term tool that people equate to value because you're giving them something. Oh, and 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 you know we're we're not we're not good at seeing long-term value. Like we're really good at seeing short-term value, and so we think we get macros, we get this program. We're going to make these improvements in like three months or, or a week, you know? And so our, our perception of change and uh, adaptation is extremely warped. And so this, and I love that you've said it multiple times, like it's very simple because it's simple things that you really need to get really good at. And uh, I think if people challenge themselves to put the time and energy into these ideas and really own them and be a, a, a representative of, of how to take care of yourself and not feel a, a slave or a prisoner to weighing and measuring, I think people are going to set themselves up pretty well with, with their health and their nutrition. Um, but again, you, it's hard to sell. You can't sell this. You know, it is, it's like, I can sell weighing and measuring because I got great calculations. You know, I can dial this in for you and pay me money and I'll do this. But it's like, oh, well, come work with me and I'll show you, I'll help you with your sleep and chewing. And it's like, well, you can't really sell that. So that's at bottom what it's about. It's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's all about money in some sense. So this is trying to get back to like who we are as biological beings and, and what principles have maintained through time with that. And um, just trying to get the pendulum back because I think it swung so far in one direction, trying to get it back to the middle. Um, and this is, this is one way for, from my experiences that can help people. And it's an ongoing thing. It's not going to happen in a month, a year, maybe two years, maybe five. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's an approach for your life with food. I think that's, that's helpful. Back to that time horizon idea. If you, if you come into it with the right uh, intention around the, the length of time that's going to need, I think it'll, it'll set you up for better success. Sam, this is fun as always. Anything that you want to plug or promote? Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if anybody's interested in mentorship or one-to-one coaching, you can email me, sam at crafted.coach, or you can send me a direct message on Instagram at Coach Sam Smith. Um, or if you have any questions on this or would like to discuss it further, I'd love to chat. Um, but yeah, I'm always, I'm always open for a great dialogue. And, uh, and thank you. I always appreciate it chatting with you, DJ. Awesome. Thanks for sharing your wisdom, man. Appreciate it.